Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast where we're exploring practical insight for racial justice and social change. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I am Trisha's. And we are joined today by a very special guest, my friend, my brother, the Reverend Ben McBride. Ben is an internationally recognized peacemaker, faith leader, activist, and sought after speaker. And he's just written a book, uh, not just written, but it's it's a, it's about to be published at the time of this recording, October 2023, uh, Troubling the Waters. Ben, thanks so much for being here, for joining the show. Hey, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be here with y'all. So Ben, I want to start with the title of your book and the story of how it came to be. Because um, I'm very, knowing you, uh, having a personal connection with you, I'm I'm particularly interested in what waters you're, you're troubling in this book. <laughs> and uh and how it came about so tell us yeah uh well you know i think like many folks you know there's always books coming out and when i was in the work over the last 15 to 20 years i think particularly towards the end of my journey big question to me was do we need another book and mm. i think one of the reasons i wrote this book was particularly because i was doing some self reflection of my own you know being a part of kind of the beginnings of the movement for Black Lives, the actual movement, not necessarily the organization, uh, but being involved in, you know, a lot of these different dynamics, being at the intersection of conflict in my own town, uh, Oakland, California, as well as across the country. And what I began to really discover on a personal level and throughout the movement was there was a new conversation, uh, maybe an older conversation that we just needed to have again around how do we actually try to go about the moment that has found us? Uh, do mm. we continue to try to approach the problems of today with the solutions of yesterday? Or is there mm -hmm. um, more that we need to dig in to the chest of some of uh, these experiences and find a new way to address the tribalism and the challenges that we're having uh, in our current day society? So uh, I wrote the book really as a hope to try to stir up some conversations. You know, uh, Andre, I like to provoke. Uh, ideas and conversations yeah. and moments. Mm -hmm. And so the hope with this book is uh, to try to provoke uh, some difficult and different conversations around where we go in this moment we find ourselves in. Yeah, I'm, I have found what and what I tell people behind your back about what I appreciate about the work that y'all are doing <laughs> is you, you and Janelle and everyone that I've encountered around the work that you're doing, you're talking about social justice in a different way, you mm -hmm. know. Some of the language that I'm used to hearing, you know, like, um, you know, you know, those of us in the social justice space, we like to use ism words, multisyllabic words that end with ism. I, I feel like y'all, the, the way that you are talking about languages uh, or the language you're using rather is fresh. It's language mm -hmm. I want to adopt uh, either. And so I'm wondering, is that what you're referring to in the book of, about the conversation that you're stirring up um, or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think the waters that I'm thinking about troubling uh, is the dynamic that I think we've got to find ways to uh, approach the work of justice differently. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to invite us to take a step back and ask ourselves if justice alone is really the goal that we're trying mm -hmm. to seek, or is there something much deeper that we should be in pursuit of? You know, when I was doing a lot of the violence prevention in Oakland, we spend so much time talking about violence prevention and violence reduction and, mm -hmm. and crime reduction and harm reduction. And I remember someone asked us at a meeting, well, what would peace look like in Oakland? And, Ooh. you know, Dick Gregory has a line. He said, uh, 
My mama talked about the devil so much. I'm a grown man before I find out the beauty of God. And one of the things that hit me is sometimes our orientation is so much to the problem that we actually aren't moving towards what we want or we even haven't taken time uh, to give ourselves the freedom to think about what we want. And so I've really been really impacted by, you know, John Powell out of the Othering and Belonging Institute to really think about, is it justice that uh, we want? Is it Mm. liberation? If it's liberation, liberation from who? Uh, yeah. is is the goal really for black folks and brown folks and queer mm-hmm. folks to just become the new white male people? Mm. Is that the goal? Is mm. is the goal of getting out of oppression to become the new pharaoh so that you can right. drive other people in search of a promised land? Right. Or, or are we after something that's more profound? And so the, the, the waters I'm trying to trouble are the waters that uh, say, uh, whether it's Uh, For those of us that identify on the left or even for those that are on the right, that we actually know what it is that we need to do in this moment. I'm actually trying to push back on us and saying that I think it's the wrong first question uh, about what is it that we need to do. I think the right first question is, who do we need to become? And and then once we start asking some deep questions Mm -hmm. around who we need to become and what we really need to be pursuing, then how do we get active in the work of creating what I like to call radical belonging? which mm-hmm. is when you're working to co-create what we deserve and what we're all moving towards, but you're doing that in relationship to people who you might perceive to be the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to challenge those of us on the left to not just keep preaching to the choir and think that somehow by me just having relationships with people who already believe what I believe that somehow we're going to be able to widen the circle of human concern, but also right. to think about what's the bridging and bonding work I need to do within my affinity group. And then what are the other kind of relationships that I might need to foster so that we can widen the circle and get to a place where I don't have to become the new white man to have mm. ease, or I would say to have dis-ease, uh, but I actually get to become a deeper, fuller version of myself. And yeah. that that is the kind of liberation uh, mm. that I think we need to see. Ben, as I was reading about your book, the idea of belonging hit this sort of like sore spot in me because I've been doing a lot of work thinking about the ways that I have internalized racism and the ways that I have internalized the structure of white supremacy. And it had me reflect on the fact that so much of the internalization had to do with my longing to belong. And um, within this work I've been doing, I I was thinking about when I was younger um, and I had moved to America and there was this like one other brown girl in my like all white class and everyone made fun of her. So I made fun of her because I wanted to fit in. And I developed this um, idea of belonging as there is an in-group which by definition means there's an out-group. And in order to belong to the in-group, there needs to be an out-group. So I struggle because I've internalized that to understand what does belonging look like without exclusion, without an out-group? I think it's a great question. I really appreciate your kind of orientation towards that. I mean, I think when I'm thinking about belonging, it's really getting to the heart of, I think what I hear you lifting up, um, which is how do we actually create a world where there aren't in groups 
and outcomes. Mm, yeah. And I know folks say, well, well, that's utopian. That That's never going to happen. And I say, well, so was the idea that Black people weren't going to be property in the United States. At a certain point, mm. that was utopian. But people had to begin to believe that so that they could manifest that, create strategies to bring that into uh, fruition. So the way that I think about belonging is this, you know, like I think we've got the whole work around DEI that's happened, you know, in our country after the civil rights movement, you had the first movement around diversity, right? Which was still dominant Mm -hmm. group, white male saying, let's get more of the people who aren't like us in the space. Then came the inclusion movement, which was now that these new people are here, where they're immigrants or they're other folks, let's make sure that they feel a part of it. And then came equity. Let's make sure all of these people have what it is they need. But belonging to me is asking a different question, which is one around power. How can we all, regardless as to our situatedness in the story, co-create to the thing that we all want to belong to? Which inherently means that those who've historically had power and privilege are going to have to cede power and privilege into the space. Those who have been persecuted and prevented often for reasons that are just about who they are as individuals, of what makes up their identity. They will grab more of that power and space, but we are going to work together to create something new. It's the recognition that all the things that we have inherited have been bathed in racism, xenophobia, sexism, patriarchy, homophobia. So we need to begin to build something new that we all can belong to. And for me, at the heart of belonging means I've got to imagine a circle that is wide enough to even include those I disagree with. Because Mm. the moment that my circle of belonging is only about the people who are like me, it feeds right into what I think you were lifting up. In order for me to be in, someone else has to be out. And and my concern, this is what I've said, like in the movement that we've been working on for the last 10, 15 years, I was at an organizing meeting in Oakland. Remember, this brother was telling me, like, I, I disagree being with your frame around belonging. You know, some people don't belong in the circle of human concern. And mm-hmm. I said, OK, Ken, well, let's just cut to the chase. We ain't got a lot of time. What are we going to do with them? We're going to kill them? We're going to incarcerate them? What are we going to do with them? I said, and if we do that, how will we not be functioning in the same monstrous way as our communities have been impacted right. over the last four to five hundred years? You cannot dismantle right. the master's house with the master's tools. Right. We must be people as the hundreds, thousands of years have told us that begin to paint a new world out of this broken one that we have. So I think my long-winded answer around belonging is, is really about uh, a new way that we hold power. Um, it's, it's kind of rebuilding the plane that we're in while the plane is still in the sky. Um, yeah. doesn't mean that we're going to start with everybody, but I think my invitation is uh, we've got to start uh, working um, towards Uh, belonging rather than uh, and belonging in a way that's about co-creating with others across difference rather than just working for the right to become the new white person who can Mm. dominate the end group and keep others out and use violence in order to control the game. How do we reframe the way that we view people on the opposite side of the political spectrum? Especially when those people are still actively oppressing us in in so many ways. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is why I, I, one of the invitations I'm saying to us is we got to think about who it is that we need to become. So whenever that question comes to me, I actually ask folks to put a pause there and step over with me into another scenario where I've done it all the time and it's been celebrated. So a lot of the work that I've been doing was with loved ones who are actively killing people in the community. 
They were mm-hmm. robbing elders. They were putting mm-hmm. hot lead through other human beings and taking their lives. I did not agree at all with the ideology behind their actions, with their uh, the, the way in which they spoke. I sat at meetings before with loved ones who said, I don't care if it's an old lady. I don't care if it's a woman. I don't care if it's a kid. I'm getting my shit. I don't care. Whatever I got to do to get mine, I'm going to get mine. That was harsh rhetoric. Mm-hmm. It, it was deeply rooted in a lot of stories that caused that person to get there. But one of the things that I realized was that I had to still see the humanity of yeah. this person. And I had to think about what did it mean for me to get in relationship with this loved one in the community, recognizing that, you know, uh, jobs don't stop bullets, relationships do. And you need structural change around the way economics mm-hmm. flow and money and a whole lot of other different things that were part of our work. But that I had to be in relationship with this person in order to partner with them and move forward. And that is what led uh, to a 50 percent reduction in homicides in the city of Oakland. And so what I've said to people is we've got to ask ourselves, why is it that we believe we can bridge with a loved one who is actively taking the lives of people in our community? And yet we struggle to think about how to be in relationship with someone who is participating with an oppressive system, hard language, uh, racist, xenophobic, homophobic language um, and ideology. Uh, the, The invitation for me is not that we somehow excuse that. But for us to think about, um, are there some folks, are there some communities that we can do some bridging with? And I'm having the same conversation with those that sit in the center, those that sit center right, to think about, are there ways that we can work together to widen the circle of human concern and find ways to create a new definition of belonging? Where the the entry point to the conversation is not that uh, I got to turn the whole world liberal in order for us Mm -hmm. to get to belonging. They certainly not going to turn the whole world conservative because I'm not joining, you know. (laughs) And so the the question is, how do we work to widen that circle so that we can all fit? Now, here's the nuance, because, you know, the hard part to me about these conversations is when you have them, you know, it's it's a little hot lines and, you know, you really can't go deep, deep, deep the way you want to have it. I'm not suggesting bridging is a panacea or belonging is a panacea. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can bridge with everyone. I don't think you can build a bridge everywhere. But some of the waters that I'm trying to trouble is the invitation that there are some people we can bridge with and some places we can build bridges. And we should actively think about that as a power building strategy, along with the existing organizing and structural change work that we've been doing. It's the invitation for us to not uh, go for the okie doke. Um, And this book isn't just written to folks on the left. It's also written to folks on the right to invite Mm -hmm. us all to think about how do I trouble the waters of my status quo? Uh, my own tribalism, my own love of affinity group and think about, you know, how I can work towards creating a new world instead of just creating an opportunity to become the new Pharaoh. You know, Ben, what I really appreciate about your perspective and the one that you're bringing in this book is that it's robust, you know, like even when we talk about bridging, it's not just across a spectrum, you know, it's like, I've seen you draw quadrants, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and saying like, in this position, you know, none of us are one thing. It's something I've heard you say a lot, you know? So it, if Karl Marx is wrong about one thing is that there are two types of people in the world, that there are oppressed mm-hmm. and oppressors, you know, that in a certain situation, you might be privileged, but in another regard, you might be prevented in some way, you know? 
and vice yeah. versa and all those kinds of things. I love that. And I think that even just that robustness is subversive in a way to some of the popular common sense we bring into those spaces where we're actually trying to do the work of justice. Because what I've noticed is that we can get rigid and self-righteous and exclusionary and insular and, you know, all these things. I'm thinking of a story from a book called Joyful Militancy, where these these folks are fighting for liberation. They go up, they become guerrillas. They're in the forest or whatever. And, you know, they're all talking about, you know, all the, the leftist ideology that they believe in that is supposed to bring liberation to their people. But one day, one of these guerrillas kills another over a girl. And this one guy was in there. He's that brought him back into the community to where his his work began to be way more rooted in what's happening in the neighborhood and all that kind of yeah. thing. And anyway, it honestly, Ben, I have thought about writing a similar book to confront these things, but your yours is going to be a lot more well received because my title, my working title, was "These Niggas Don't Want to Be Free." Um, <laughs> because. <laughs> be, and and it's and it's because and so what i'm saying is i'm I'm grateful for the way that you are confronting these things because it actually does give me hope um that someone is raising this conversation about who we need to become and on that note uh, i've been curious about this for you because i remember i think it was this was several years ago but i remember you taking a break i remember you saying listen i got to get off social media for a while and I remember when you came back, you were talking, you were talking different. <laughs> you know, you were, you were talking differently. And I'm curious I, I got about. A, I got off the crack, Andre. I got, I got <laughs> off the crack. <laughs> <laughs> the rehab. Okay. So, and so, so there's a picture of, there's a picture of Ben McBride in my head maybe around 2014, 2015, there are viral videos of Ben McBride on the streets, in his collar, letting the police have it. Shame on you. I remember that, you know, like there's that Ben McBride, which he's still badass. You know what I'm saying? But I'm wondering how you went from that place, you know, of a seeing, seeing your righteous rage to this place of saying, okay, we got to rethink how we're going about doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the truth is that I was actually doing both at the same time, the whole time I was mm -hmm. just less courageous about unearthing the bridging work that I was doing on the backside yeah. for fear mm -hmm. that I would not be accepted in mm -hmm. our own movement for justice mm -hmm. because of the ways that we can other each other yeah. in our own justice movements if someone stops demonstrating the kind of commitment to the orthodoxy around mm -hmm. how it is you're supposed to go about doing social change. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what people didn't know that at the time that I was on the front lines and the protest movement in 2014, 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. I was actively at tables all the time with Pookie and Ray Ray who mm -hmm. had pistols in their pocket. I was mm -hmm. actively at the tables with law enforcement for free, training them around implicit bias and finding ways to help them understand why the community couldn't stand them and having to come into a place where I was making a choice. I wasn't getting paid for any of this, 
Uh, I was running another nonprofit organization, probably stealing money from them because I was doing other stuff on the time that I was working with them Mm -hmm. the majority Mm -hmm. of the time. But, you know, that's just a nonprofit get down. But spending time (laughs) trying to think about, you know, how to humanize the people that were wearing police uniforms while not losing my critique that the police institution was, in fact, a racist institution. So all these versions of myself were living all at the same time. But I felt like I had to hide these versions mm. and the hiding of these versions for me started creating a kind of and I don't say this at all to um, uh, devalue uh, our sisters, brothers, relatives that are impacted by schiz- uh, schizophrenia. But I was ex- experiencing um, what I understand that um, mental condition, a cognitive uh, dissonance, manifests, a kind of distance of these yeah. multiple versions of myself. Until finally, I had to get to a point when I talk about getting off the crack, I'm kind of serious in the sense that I had to take a step back and say, OK, what what is it that I actually believe and what is it that I am actually doing? And, wow. and I had to start building some of my own, you know, uh, sacred text, if you will. One mm-hmm. uh, that is I want all human beings to flourish, not just the ones that look like me, pray like Mm -hmm. me, love like me, work like me, uh, the ones that uh, believe what I believe politically. But I want all human beings to flourish. I recognize that there's some human beings for stories that some I know, some I don't, has brought them to a place in the story where it doesn't seem to me from where I sit that they want other people within this circle to flourish. But I do not want to be made into the image of them. By simply becoming a left version of what I see them doing on the right. Yeah. And so for me, it it became this notion of I've got to work through some of my own internalized trauma, uh, oppression Mm -hmm. issues that I've got going on inside me and think about how do I respond to this moment where sometimes troubling the water is going to look like being on the front lines, protesting, going to jail, turning up for the turn up uh, as I've done in the past. And sometimes troubling the water is going to be having to uh, challenge some of the orthodoxy of my own affinity yes. group to think about how do we um, be more than a one trick pony and think about mm-hmm. how do we also see bridging across difference as a power building strategy ourselves? Uh, how do we recognize that even within our own affinity groups and our, uh, our, our tribal identities, there's bridging and bonding work that we need to do with one another so that we're not yeah. acting in violence towards one another. Like I, I want to figure out how do we like I'm from the black tribe, obviously. Right. So I want to Mm -hmm. figure out how do we make enough room for, you know, the bourgeois Negroes, as well Mm -hmm. as Puke Mm -hmm. Ray Ray from the block, the college Mm -hmm. boys and college girls, the LGBTQ plus sisters, brothers and relatives. Like we've got Mm -hmm. work that we need to do all within ourselves because we don't all agree on the same thing. So we need to figure out how do we begin to bridge across difference rather than becoming caricatures of what colonization has taught us. Right. Which is unless you become me, I kill you. Mm. Right. And and I, I fundamentally disagree with this notion that mm. the entry into the circle of human concern must be that you have to become me. Right. That, that that is what they did on the continent. That's what they did to our beautiful indigenous relatives here in the Americas. And right. and I think those of us that consider ourselves awake, we have mm. to have a different uh, approach towards getting to this place of belonging, freedom, liberation, whatever you know it is that you want to call it. We've got to have a way to get there that is not just another version of colonization yes. that's more digestible. Yeah. Mm. 
I hear in your story, you know, something I've heard you say on many trips, you know, but um, the first question is, who do I have to become? And I hear you, I, I hear in the story you just told, like saying like, you came to a point where you said, okay, we got to resolve this dissonance, this cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. I'm, I'm experiencing. Yeah. And what was that moment for you? When, when did you know, okay, I got to bring this, I got to bring just, just as much as I was bringing this, I also got to bring this too. Yeah. It, w- it was at the end of the 2020 George Floyd summer. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I had already started moving, you know, in the space, you know, around belonging and was still leading, mm-hmm. you know, one of the largest faith-based racial justice organizing organizations in California, which you remember, Dre, I had you up and we did a, a belonging conversation with yeah. you know, Linda Sarsour and many others that was trying to invite into this conversation. How do we hold some of these ideas? But, you know, after, you know, George Floyd was murdered, I think my heart, like many of our hearts, was just broken. I remember sitting down at my kitchen table and literally just collapsing in, in tears, you know, yeah. um, after 10, 15 years of all of this, right? Going right. to jail, uh, yeah. uh, thinking we were going to get killed by the police on the front streets, walking mm-hmm. around with loved ones in the community and dodging bullets and being shot at and all of the different things that had been a part of this journey for me. And so I did what we normally do after something like that is I went to the streets and jumped on the airplanes and we were on the yeah. streets for Brianna and Louisville and we were on the streets of this city for that folks. I got to the end of that summer and I couldn't sustain it anymore, which is why one of the chapters I write about in the book is is called Radical Self-Care. Because Mm -hmm. one of the things I also realized has to happen if we're going to get to a world that's rooted in radical belonging is that we can't, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm trying not to use a a terrible word. So and I'm not I'm going to find a better word, but I want to say we can't uh, take advantage of people Mm -hmm. who are deeply hurt and care about these issues and simply use them mm-hmm. and, and all of ourselves just, just terrorize ourselves and destroy ourselves mm-hmm. in the process and become new martyrs for the movement that destroys our mental, emotional, and physical health. And so for me, when I got to the end of that, um, I was on my way to a nervous breakdown. Uh, yeah. I was at the point where I couldn't hold this anymore. And it, it really um, turned the corner for me. It, it turned the switch when I really realized that not only do I have to find a way to do this differently, I really felt like we needed to yes. find a way to do this differently. That's much more sustainable. That's yeah. not just rooted in the pain that we feel, but it's also rooted in the joy that we have. That's rooted mm-hmm. in the in the optimism and the hope that we have and, and that we've, we've got to find a way to do it differently. And so uh, the majority of the book had been written at that point, but that's when I had to go back and rewrite a lot wow. of it. Um, because some of the first version of the book, you know, I just had been with his hotlines and, you know, let me tell y'all what's going on. You know, I, you know I, I, I call it my, I call it my, my incredible Hulk version of, of my activism where I'm just like, you know, don't make me angry. You don't like me, but I'm angry. And I'm like, oh, and my collar comes out, my Air Force Ones come on and I jump onto the freeway, right? And, and <laughs> but for me, I, I really had to go through, I had to step away. And, and I think, you know, for all of us that are trying to, in all of our different ways, widen that circle, uh, one of the big invitations that I'm putting to folks, like both in this conversation and on the book, is to first make sure that you're taking good care of yourself. Yes. Um, 
we are not going to change this world in our lifetime. Um, we can change parts of it, but we get a chance to be a part of a larger story. There's yeah. people who did work that we're building on. And so we yes. want to be faithful in our moment to those who are going to build after us. But yeah. let's have a level of some humility and self-awareness and emotional intelligence to say, it's not on me to save the climate and to stop America from being racist and sexist and homophobic. Yeah. It's my responsibility to make my contribution. And yes. like Mother Teresa says, nobody can uh, cure world hunger. But if each person who had a piece of food gave it to somebody who didn't, we collectively could cure world hunger. And so uh, for me, that was my journey of having to take a step back uh, and think about how do we do this in a sustainable um, way, in a way that doesn't eat us up in a way that doesn't commodify us um, yeah. because, you know, all three of us, um, I don't want to be the plant, the plantation owner, uh, but I also mm. uh, don't want to be the cotton that's picked, uh, mm -hmm. nor do I want to be the person working on the plantation. Right. So I'm really trying to invite us to think about what is the way that you need to be troubling the water. Some of us is going to be the meta story. Some of us yeah. is going to be at the places we work. Some of us, it might be doing some real work in our personal relationships and our family. Uh, mm -hmm. But if we'll all be faithful to our own journey of becoming, doing it in a way that's sustainable, finding ways to bridge with people across difference, having in mind that the end result must include those uh, that uh, we disagree with. I think we're going to start moving towards something that's worth us instead of moving towards something uh, that simply will just repeat the cycles that we've seen in the past. I know we got to wrap up here, but I would love to hear if you could share any of the personal practices with our listeners that like helped you be able to take care of yourself in a way that made made this work more sustainable for you. Yeah, um, there's there's lots of these practices, but I think uh, uh, and I, I unpack a lot of them in the book, but I think the, the two that come to mind. Um, right now is uh, to slow down and mm -hmm. to actually center healing. That healing is one of the big sources of power that we need to, as, as the organizer Dwayne Royster says from uh, Philadelphia, change the damned world. Um, mm -hmm. We've really got to put our healing uh, first and foremost. And yes. so I, I really encourage us to see investing in your own personal healing as a way that you actually contribute to the long-term cultural and structural change that we need. I know that's counterintuitive yeah. because it says, well, actually, I need to turn out more people to vote. I need to pass more policies. I need to attend more protests, do more direct actions. Yeah. And again, what I say um, to y'all, y'all, we're not cotton to be picked and we're not cotton pickers. Heal yeah. yourself. Because yeah. the most healed version of yourself is going to be able to produce the kind of art you need, do protests mm -hmm. better, mm -hmm. organize in a way that's not exploiting other people's pain, mm -hmm. and even finding a way at times uh, to bridge with people uh, that are different from you. Um, so I'm all about leaning into those practices of healing. If you ain't got a therapist, get one. Um, and if you're not taking good care of your physical body as much as you have resources and capacity, do do so. I know, folks, that's not the most sexiest answer to organizing. Right. But as somebody that's 15, 20 years into this game, I think it's the most honest one I could offer. You got to deal with the acute systems, mm -hmm. the symptoms, the acute mm -hmm. symptoms before you can actually get to the systemic ones. <laughs> you know, 
And yes, I, think, I think I've seen that in my own experience on the street of like a bunch of us was running around under under duress talk about we gonna save this city <laughs> it's like nah bro we, we're cannibalizing each other you know? we're working out working out our trauma on the street um, yes, in, in, yes. In, in live view yes on each other you know yeah um, I know that both uh, Ben we've kept you a little bit longer and I know Trish you've got a role really soon and I just want to ask you before we go um, what keeps you going you know, what gets mm. you out of bed in the morning? What keeps you working at this work, knowing how frustrating it can be at times? What keeps me inspired uh, are seeing uh, people continue to be creative in the face of incredible obstacles, uh, continuing mm-hmm. to build the world that we deserve in the face of the world that we have. Um, to me, examples like Desmond Mead and Neil Voles out in Florida uh, black former incarcerated brother working alongside uh, a white evangelical brother to enfranchise 1.4 million Floridians uh, because mm. of who they chose to become in the face of the othering that they were facing. And because of that, they enfranchise so many more people to be a part of this process is hope to me. Um, me being able to continue to see loved ones who used to be pulling the trigger and shooting at folks across the city now step into the role of becoming mothers and fathers and uncles and aunties who are transforming communities uh, because they chose to adopt peace in the face of violence. That inspires me. Um, To me, we don't need to wait for anybody. Our greatest hope is each other. Uh, It's ourselves. Um, So I find Mm -hmm. hope uh, from listening to y'all being in these conversations and continuing to do the work. Uh, And uh, I believe we're going to get there. Uh, We've come a long way. We're not tired yet. Uh, Let's just keep doing the work. Uh, And the work's not just outside. It's also inside. Well, thanks, Ben, for joining us. This has been amazing. Yeah, I know it's that so everyone... great to finally meet you. I've heard so much about you. <laughs> it's tough to meet you, too. We're going to get a chance to rock. I know our listeners are going to be like, we could have listened to like a whole nother hour of this. Um, so we'll have to have you back on the show um, and, and chat some more. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music, that's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S, Music, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok, and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trish's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.